Hello, Dorian suddenly heard in the middle of swinging his hammer, sending a fearful tremor down his spine. With trembling hands, he picked up his sword, still glowing red with radiating heat. His heart pounded in his chest like the beat of a drum. He hadn't felt fright like this since a bear chased him up a tree when he was very young. His father had come to the rescue and spooked the bear away. On this night, he was alone and scared. He gripped his sword with both hands as he quietly inched his way towards the door. Dennis Medbury, Secrets of the Runestones You're listening to Writing Roots, brought to you by Aspen House Publishing. Welcome to Writing Roots, I'm Lee Hull. And I'm Lee Esses. We're starting a new bonus segment with this episode, which we're calling our Industry Spotlight. Each month, we will interview someone involved in the publishing process, whether it's an author, publisher, editor, or simply someone who just likes to write. In this episode, I'm very pleased to announce we are joined by Dennis Medbury, the author of the newly released book called Secrets of the Runestones. So welcome, Dennis. Um, tell us Thank about you your- very much for having me. Yeah, glad to have you here. Thank you for joining us. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, why you became an author, and a little bit about your books? Yeah, sure. Uh, I joined the uh, United States uh, Navy in 2001, and I served for 14 years, and during my service, I developed PTSD, and because of that, I ended up with insomnia pretty severely, and uh, I had a real hard time going to sleep, and the... uh, Navy tried to give me medications and things to help me get to sleep, but I just, I'm not a medication person. So I tried to come up with something else that would help me sleep. So I started coming up with a story in my head and it evolved and evolved and it became a tradition for me to just think this story over in my head. Every time I would get to a certain point in the story where I just didn't like the direction it was going, or I didn't think that it made sense, I would just start over completely because, like I said, it would just help me sleep. Mm-hmm. About two years ago, I, every time I would start over the story, it remained the same. Like, hmm. it was almost like it dried in cement. Like, that's the way this story is supposed to go. And once I got to that point, I said, you know what? It's time to put it on paper. And I started writing it, and I showed it to some friends and family, and they all loved it. And they all really encouraged me to keep going. So I did. And I found a publisher, and that's how it started. (laughs) So tell us a little bit about your story. Um, The book started as an odd conversation that I had with uh, a friend of mine before I even joined the service. It was actually, now I've never been a uh, Dungeons & Dragons player myself. But we were just shooting the breeze, and he started talking about what kind of character would be his perfect character. And then I started talking about mine. And that was the inspiration, like those two characters. I'd always loved the fantasy genre. I loved the idea of elves, dwarves, orcs, you know, all that kind of stuff from Tolkien. And I'd read many books about them and everything. And I just started crafting it from those two characters originally in my mind. The book itself, it's kind of hard to describe, I guess kind of like a, uh, a slice of life, sort of. Each chapter takes place from a different character's point of view, and the characters are all wildly different. If, I were to, if you were to ask me who's the main character, I'd probably have a hard time telling you. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the point of the series itself, 
itself is for these characters from very different backgrounds. They're going to have to come together to stop a war that will that would devastate their home. A little history of the of the world of the book would be from the start of the story. Twenty five years ago, the king of the nation decided that he had had enough with the constant. Uh, bickering and fighting and wars and battles between what they call the beast races and the humanoid races. And the beast races would, would be like the orcs, centaurs, minotaurs, cyclops. Hmm. They're just what they called the unnaturals or the beast races. Interesting. There was a giant war, and he ended up rounding them all up and kicking them out of the kingdom. The book takes place on two separate continents, but the other continent where the king kicked out the beast races is desolate. It was just it was destroyed by natural disasters and the soil's infertile. The uh it's constantly torn up by uh tornadoes and it's incredibly hard just to survive. Uh portions of it were devastated by a earthquake, uh mountains leveled. So of course the beast races are pretty upset. Yeah. <laughs> and uh the big part of the book is they're coming back. They're, they've found a way to get back, and they're trying to take back the lands. Only they're going to try to do what the king did and take it all over. Wow. That, that sounds like a, an epic fantasy right in there. It's right <laughs> in my genre. I'm really liking this. <laughs> so for those of us who are about to go out and ready to buy the book, what, what is it called, and has it been released yet? Yeah, it's uh, called Secrets of the Runestones. That is the name of the book and the series. Hmm. Book one was released on September 12th, 2019. Congratulations. And I'm actually done with the first draft of book two. Awesome. Do you have a release date for that one yet? Uh, I do not. I do know the title. <laughs> Which is? The Price of Vanity. Ooh, that's a good Ooh. title. That's really intriguing. <laughs> Thank you. If it's okay, I, I, I could tell you about the magic system and how things work. Yes, please. In the book. <laughs> okay. Legend tells that there are seven gods. There's the father, God. He had two children, the goddess of light and the god of darkness. Those two created the four gods of earth, fire, wind, and water. And each of those six gods, leaving out the father of the gods, bestowed their power onto the planet in the shape of what's called rune stones. Now, each one, like the, the light and the dark uh, rune stones are a little bit more rare. They don't have a whole lot of, I guess what I'd say, extra abilities. You see, because if I have a fire rune stone and I carve the symbol for flame on it, I could actually put that into a table and make that table into a stove. I could take a water runestone and carve the symbol for freeze and put it in a, a box and make a fridge. So the world's technology revolves around the use of these runestones. You could actually put a wind runestone on a platform if it's big enough, and you could make an elevator. Nice. Um, now, the king controls technology here because, he, of course, that's how dictators work, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's not, And it's not an extremely advanced society like they don't have vehicles but even if there was i doubt that king would have allowed that to happen so anyway that's how it works for technology now as far as battle is concerned if a, a warrior put a fire rune stone in a sword then he could carve the word flame in it and his 
floor would light on fire. Yes. Uh, you could put an earth runestone into a hammer, carve the symbol for Harden, and it would make that hammer really, really strong and be able to smash your opponent's weapon, giving you an advantage. That's incredible. I love this mix of magic and technology that you don't see a whole lot in, in fantasy books. Usually they're separate. I, oh, I'm yeah. loving this. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Now, let's say that same warrior put a fire runestone into his sword, but did not carve a symbol into the runestone. He could, in theory, write out the, the symbol that he wants in the air and cast low-level spells from that. Sweet. This would give him a wider variety. Oh, I did kind of skip something here. In the use of technology, when you activate, like, say, your stove, it actually requires some of your own personal energy, and the amount of energy a person has varies. It's more like, you know, the more you use it, the more tired you get or worn out or exhausted. But when you're using it in technology for things, like I said, like a, like a fridge or a stove, the amount of energy you're using is so little you wouldn't even really notice it. Mm-hmm. Now, if a warrior has a runestone and he's casting through the, through the uh, sword, it's going to require more energy. But since they're casting through an item, the potency of that spell is limited. Now, a, a mage actually takes the runestone and grafts it onto their skin, and they never carve a symbol into their runestone because it would limit them to that one spell if they did. However, they can cast very, very devastating spells by tracing out the symbol in the air with their finger. However, the bigger the spell that they trace out in the air, the more energy it's going to take, and if you do it wrong, it could backfire on you, or if you do it too large, you could actually kill yourself. So it's very limited. I love that. One of the things that I talk about most when I'm talking about magic systems and building them is making sure that there are limitations. And I love the limitations that you've placed in your magic system of it actually has a cost for the user. Yes. There's actually a, it's it's part of the lore, so I'm not giving anything away. Um, (laughs) A a, a large part of when you're writing a book is making the world feel like it's been there. It, Mm -hmm. it, It has a history, things that people know about. So I try to reference those when it's appropriate without overdoing it. Thank you. Um, And one of the, Legends was during an elf versus dwarf war a couple thousand years ago, a famous mage casted a lightning bolt spell that was so large, it actually created a crater that formed a lake. He wiped out like a thousand dwarfs with this one spell, but it killed him. Wow. I love that history. Oh my goodness. (laughs) (laughs) That is... I love seeing authors that put that much time and effort into building not just their actual story, but the whole history behind it. Do you have any influences like other authors that you look to for inspiration or that you really admire? Okay, well, I, of course, have to include Tolkien, right? He's, mm. the, he's the father of it all. Oh, yes. And a little George R. R. Martin. But I have to admit something. <laughs> I'm not much of a reader. Really? Oh. Not lately. I always was. But when I had children, I was a single father for a couple of years, Mm. and I just, I I didn't have time to pick up a book. Of course, I'm married now, and I do have time now, but I just never got back into it, and I'm kind of like drooling to get back into it. (laughs) I've read here or there things, uh, Anne Rice, I know that's not fantasy, but I read most of her books. Uh, I read the uh, George R.R. Martin, his uh, Game of Thrones 
Mm-hmm. But I really, really want to get into the books that I read about because I miss them. <laughs> yeah, that's that's one thing that I love is that for me, my writing is kind of like a side hobby, but I love reading. So in in your writing, you said earlier that kind of how you developed the stories was to create a story in your mind and then eventually change it. How did this particular story change from when you first came up with the idea to how it got published? Oh, from the beginning, this story is nothing like where I started. <laughs> <laughs> it's not even anywhere close. The only thing that has been remained constant is Dorian and Razul. Dorian and Razul are the two characters that were from that conversation that I had with my friend many years ago. Those are the only things that have remained constant through the whole almost 20-year process. Can you tell so us a little Dorian bit about Dorian is a, a half-dwarf. Which is fascinating to me. I got to read the first chapter, and just the concept of a half-dwarf, I don't know why I've never thought of it before, but that is brilliant. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah, they, they go by, they get called the derogatory term mull, M-U-L, which is kind of like a mule, <laughs> and... They have one thing in common with mule. Uh, half dwarfs, they can't reproduce. Okay. The, the one thing that makes it odd about them is they're born with no hair, and they never have any. Like, no eyelashes, no eyebrows. No beard for the dwarf. Exactly. <laughs> okay, so what, is, what so, does uh, this character do? Okay, so we kind of have a role reversal here. A half dwarf isn't usually born unless it's forced like they're bred, because they have the strength of a dwarf with the agility of a human. So they're perfect for pit fighters. But Dorian was born out of love, and he was raised by his father. Uh, No human woman can survive birthing a half-dwarf. They're just too big. Mm -hmm. So Dorian was actually raised out in the woods away from society, where he just learned blacksmithing from his father. Now, Razul is a wild elf. In my book, a a wood elf would look like a forever 14-year-old. Okay, they're small, they're a little more fragile. Wild elves look like they're forever 21 years old. They're not as small, they're bigger than the uh, wood elves are. And they're very similar to American Indians. They live off the land, they actually eat meat, they're hunters, and they stay away from society. And for every accomplishment they make within their tribe, they tattoo themselves. So an older elf, a wild elf, would be covered head to toe in, in, in tattoos. Razul was uh, captured by slavers when he was very young, and he's spent 70 years in the uh, fighting arena. Hmm. So it's like a role reversal for those two. Whereas yeah. Razul should have been living off the land, he was raised as a pit fighter, and whereas Dorian should have been a pit fighter, he was raised... Off, living off the land with his father. That's really interesting. Now, can you give us a spoiler on how they end up meeting? Because it doesn't sound like these characters would ever interact in, like, four lifetimes. <laughs> a spoiler? Just no, I can't do that. Okay. okay. <laughs> uh, no, the, the biggest reason is because, and this would be a spoiler, uh, by the end of book one, they haven't met yet. Oh, okay. So that's part of the every chapter from a different character. Yes. Uh, some of the, uh, like I said, it's, it's very diverse. Uh, one of the characters, her name is Clarissa, and she's a high priestess of the Holy Order. She is nobility. 
not in line for king queen, but she runs the kingdom's judicial system. Hmm. And only the women of her family can hold that position because the thought behind that is only a woman has the uh, compassion and complexity to be able to handle such a thing with pure thought instead of uh, vengeance or motive. Hmm. Another uh, person is a high commander of a different city. His name is Marius. I didn't originally plan on this character being gay, but he is. And it was just when I was writing the character, that was just the natural flow. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what this character is. Characters sometimes have minds of their own. Sometimes. Yeah, and that's exactly what happened with Marius. And it has really has no bearing on who he is as a person or what he focuses on. It's just that he is. And that's, like you said, he took it on a life of his own. That's probably the best way to write one of those characters. I, I don't think I have. Yeah. All right, continue. Let's see. Who am I? Oh, um, Elendor. He it has the rare ability of Arbormancy, which means he can control plants through his magic. He's a wood elf. But he was born without two legs and an arm. He faces a lot of discrimination because in the elven society, elves see themselves as perfect. And to see someone born with imperfections is like an affront. It's like an abomination to them. Hmm. But him being an arbormancer, their society really relies on him having that power, and he's the only one. When they need to expand their city, which is in the treetops, or they need to control plants and they refuse to damage nature in any way, shape, or form, they have to rely on his magic. And it's the only reason he's stayed alive. Huh. That would be an interesting character to play. I'm just thinking yeah. D&D because you mentioned the roots of this story, even if you, you weren't the one playing. <laughs> I think that's all the characters. Uh, yes, the Death Knight, his name is Jonas. Uh, he was born in the City of the Dead. The City of the Dead worships death, but not killing. They think that when you die, as long as you didn't kill yourself, you get to move on to your next plane of existence, and it's a celebration. The Death Knight, there can only ever be one at a time because the Death Knight is incredibly powerful and very dangerous. So the, the City of the Dead, who normally only has one Death Knight in their city, don't, don't have a whole lot of defenses because they rely on the Death Knight. But the Death Knight left the city and became the high commander of the King's Army. Hmm, okay. So that's another one of the characters. Now, these are all the characters that just have, like, a point of view. There's actually... Quite a few more. So you're, you're going the George R. R. Martin style with a little bit here, a little bit there, and eventually they'll end up hanging out? <laughs> yes. Uh, they, they run across each other. Sometimes they stay together. Sometimes they don't. Well, we really appreciate you joining us today. Um, but we have a debate that you might be able to help us help settle. Help me win. No, me. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what is your favorite mode of writing? Do you write with a pen and paper first, or do you go straight to the keyboard? Straight to the keyboard. That's, that's the wrong answer. Sorry. <laughs> you know, all those years in the military, everything was done through email. Everything was done on the computer. Like every, like, every kind of communication was, there was nothing written. I guess 14 years in the military just kind of got me accustomed to doing things that way. That makes sense. I agree. <laughs> also, another question for you. Have you heard the term potter or pantser? Do you plot oh. your stories with an outline, or do you write them 
panther, like flying by the seat of your pants as you write it. Panther. Nice. Absolutely. <laughs> you're, you're just agreeing with her both times now. I don't know. Oh, geez. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I think if, if I was uh, to create a story like that I wanted to write and I still didn't know where it was going, then I probably would outline. But this is different. This was 20 years in my head. <laughs> yeah, that's a really, you have it so. kind of outlined, but not on paper. So right. I think that's pretty good summation of most pantsers. How many books do you have planned for the series? You know, the, the, the story keeps evolving when I actually write it. A yeah. lot of the things that I already thought, oh, this is definitely how it's going. But once I wrote it, it changed a little bit. Now, most of it stayed the same for the most part. But I thought I would be further along in book one than I, than I ended up being. But when I got to the end, I was like, boom, that's definitely the ending. So uh, this is a long way of just saying I don't really know for sure. I'm thinking, I'm thinking four, but it might be five. That's a good number for a fantasy series. Do you plan on writing entirely in this world for your entire writing career, or do you plan on branching out and doing other things after you finish this series? I think once I finish this series, I'll have to see where I feel about that. I, I, didn't, I never in a million years thought that I would even get this far, to be honest with you. You know, I was this, just this guy. That's how I looked at myself. People who write, been writing for a long time by my age. I'm 42 uh, years old, and I, here I am just starting. So, so I guess I would have to wait until, and see what happens when I, when I finish this series, if I'll keep writing or if that's just the story that was in me. The great thing is there's really no time limit to writing, and no age limit at all. So you're a fairly new published author, what advice would you have for other people looking to get published? And what did you wish you would have known when you started? One of the biggest things that I found was that I know nothing, Jon Snow. Um, <laughs> <laughs> when I first wrote the story, I told. When my first, if I went back and looked at my first draft, and I kept it so that I could always go back and see where I started. When I look back on that first draft, I was like, oh my gosh, this is garbage. <laughs> we all feel that way sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> and, but everything was just telling instead of showing. When I very first started, I just wanted to tell you the story like we were face to face. And things don't work that way when you're writing. You have to paint a picture. It's, it's terrible to limit yourself as an author to say, don't use these words. Don't listen to that. That's what I would tell somebody. Yes, you should probably try to limit the word was, the words to be, the word that, the word had, if you can, because those are not descriptive words. But sometimes you have to. So you don't limit yourself. Just try to remember to paint the picture and don't treat your readers like they're dumb. <laughs> Thank you. I love that advice. <laughs> <laughs> that's, I mean, that's something that we've told people on this podcast before is it's your writing, write your story and take all the advice that people give you about writing and use it sparingly. Which is extra fun for a podcast centered on writing advice. <laughs> <laughs> I, I definitely agree with that outlook. Don't limit yourself. Never limit yourself, but do your research. 
especially when you're writing in fantasy, because you have to really think about cultures. You have to think about trading systems. You have to think about how does this world work? What's their monetary system? Why is this guy the king? Why are things this way? You can't just say things are this way because. You have to have a reason, something that makes sense. In Secrets of the Runestones, the capital is directly in the center of the land, and it's right in the middle of all trade routes. It was just one of the things that I had to think about. Like, yeah. why is it there? Because your readers are going to think of that. They're going to think, why? Why is this person in charge? Why did they put that there? Why are their customs the way they are? You are a writer after my own heart. That sounds amazing. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm curious, but I know some of our listeners will be as well. How can our listeners find you on social media, follow you, and how can they get your book? Um, My book is available on Amazon. Uh, if you look up Secrets of the Runestones, it might be a little bit harder to find because you'll find decrypting runestones and things like that. The best way to find me uh, on Amazon is by searching my name. That's the easiest way, which is Dennis with two N's, uh, Medbury, M-E-D-B-U-R-Y. Uh, I am on Facebook at Dennis Medbury, and I am on Instagram at D as in Delta, P as in Papa, Medberry, and Twitter, same thing. Thank you again so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. If you have a question or comment for our hosts or a topic you'd like us to cover, send us an email at writingroots at aspenhousepublishing.com or find us on Facebook by searching for Aspen House Publishing. 